This week, John, he's going to give us a progression to see how we are doing as children of God. Right? Maybe you take on a new hobby and you want to see, is there any way to tell how good or bad I am at this thing, right? Maybe you took pottery in high school and you whip out your first ashtray and you're like, man, this looks pretty good or this looks pretty bad, right? And you're trying to see how you are progressing in this. Maybe you're on a diet and you're trying to see if you're progressing in the diet. You're looking at the scale and the numbers going up and you're realizing you are not progressing, right? You're just growing and that's not what you want, right? And there's different ways we look at things. You put in an investment and if the money's going up, hey, you're growing, you're progressing. If the money's going down, you got to take the money out or do something about it, right? And John here, he gives us a progression to see how are we doing as children of God. He starts off and he says, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. He mentions again their little children at the end of verse 13. He says, because you have known the Father. And we all start off as little children. We all start off as kids. And the more we have to remind other people that we were once a kid kind of reveals how old we are, right? If we're constantly telling our kids or other people, I was your age once, right? Or when I was your age, I did X, Y, Z, our age is uh, coming out. But John here, he's reminding us we all start off as babies, right? I love uh, Jose. He mentions lots of times as a baby believer, he says, I was still in diapers. I was still in pampers, right? And you're getting to know the things of God. You're getting to know who Jesus is. You're kind of freaked out by the Trinity, tongues, what in the world is that, right? And you're growing and maturing in God. What can I do? What can't I do? And you're asking questions, right? Isn't that what children naturally do? Asking questions, dealing with immaturities, dealing with a good amount of ignorance, a little bit gullible, easily given into different things. And this is where we all start off at. And this is the beauty of the body of Christ. There's different people in different states of life both physically and socially, and also spiritually. Some of us, we've just gotten saved. Some of us, we've been here for the last 20, 30 years, 40 years, and we're still growing in Christ. Little children here, it's, it, there's two different words in the Greek. The first time, it's literally born ones, those who have been born of God. And the second time, it's those who are under instruction. Again, it's the new believer, immature, naive, struggling with the same commands over and over and over again. No amens from the parents here, but right? Struggling with the same commands. Clean your room, clean your room, clean your room, right? Don't hit your brother, don't hit your brother, don't hit your brother, right? Take your hand out of your mouth, don't eat that, get that bean out of your nose, right? And you're repeating the same things for forever, right? And this is what we do with children. Here he characterizes these children by their sins being forgiven for his name's sake. Again, our salvation, it's not through our works. It's by his grace. It's through faith and faith alone. It's not because of how great and amazing we are, but it's all for the glory of God. The second part of this little child is that we know the Father. It's realizing that God, he's our Father. He's our Abba. He's our dad. And realizing that our sins have been forgiven and realizing that God loves us enough to adopt us into the family of Christ should lead us waking up every morning with gratitude in our heart. Thanksgiving for what God has done. Right? I know some kids, they wake up and their hair is all a mess and they're pretty cranky. But there's other kids that wake up crazy excited, right? 
Each and every day. I remember one time uh, Levi slept over a friend's house and we told him, Levi, leave them alone. Don't wake up early. Wait till the sun's out, right? And then you could come up. And then it was 6 a.m., right? I think the, the rooster just crowed. He goes, sun's out, right? Woke up our poor friends, right? But there's an excitement to wake up each day. The Lord saves me. He loves me. He's forgiven me. He's adopted me. And we need that excitement within our family. Sometimes we've lost that excitement. Sometimes as a new believer, you come to church and you can't wait till the time you get to greet one another, right? You get to meet new people, shake hands, say hi to them, give them hugs. And then you come to church for a while and you're like, oh, here we go, greet one another, right? Then that guy's going to come, he's going to hug me, he's not going to let go of me, he's actually going to start the teaching, it's going to be awkward, right? What's, what's going on here, right? You start off as a believer, you buy a new Bible, you got pens, highlighters, pencils, notebook, journal, you're all excited, you're ready to come. You've been walking with the Lord for a while, I don't need any of that. I could just use my phone for everything, right? I don't, I don't need any of that stuff. We got to be careful, we can lose that excitement, we can lose that first love. And this is the heart that we should have. You go to Romans chapter 8, verse 15. And here we're reminded of the spirit that we have. You see, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus almost always refers to God as his Father. Father, do this. Father, do that. Father, not my will, but yours be done. There's really only one time where he says, my God, my God. And that's when our sin is all on him. But each and every other time, he refers to him as his father. And in Romans chapter 8, we can start off in verse 12. And it tells us, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Again, we need to know how great and grand our God is, but we should be referring to him as our Father, as our Abba, as our Daddy. That's who he is. That's the spirit that we've received, as that's the spirit that Christ had whenever he would speak with God the Father. You can write down Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul has the same idea. He says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. You can write down Mark chapter 14, verse 36. Here Jesus, he's speaking with God the Father, and he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will but what you will. Again, family, how big is our God? How big is our Father? Do we really believe that all things are possible for Him? Have we sort of put Him into a box? Are we drowning in our anxieties and fears, thinking that our water bill is just too great for the God of the universe? Our problem is just it's too much for Him. He can't handle it. Or do we realize that our God can do anything? Have we taken the same spirit of humility that Christ did that we're saying, Lord, I don't want to deal with this, but God, your will be done, not mine. That takes humility. That takes submission saying, God, you are my father and I trust you. Right? I don't know about your upbringing. Don't know how good or bad your dad was. But for many people, when they're growing up, there's nothing their dad couldn't do. Right? You're growing up and your dad, he's like Superman. He can do anything. 
You're fighting with the kids in the playground, talking about how your dad can beat up their dad, right? Your dad, he throws you up in the air, and you think you're just going to fly away and float away, right? How do we view our God? Is he smaller than our problems? Is he smaller than the issues that our world has? Or do we realize that he is the greatest power ever? He is the creator of heaven and earth and of the universe. How do we view him? Right? We all start off there as little children. Then the progression continues, right? Young men, young women. It's those who are spiritually growing. They're no longer a child, but now they are growing. They are maturing. It tells us that they have strength. And what's the secret to their strength? That the word of God abides in them. Family, is the word of God abiding in you? That's the only way we can mature. That's the only way we can grow. The young men are characterized by those who are overcoming the wicked one. They've overcome the wicked one. They have strength. The word of God is abiding in them. And then it closes up again for young men that they're overcoming the wicked one again. And family, the more we feed on God's word and the more we obey it, the more we'll grow from being, from being that little child into that young man or that young woman of God. The more we take in God's word and obey it, the more we'll grow, the more we'll mature. And what are you feeding on, right? What is your hunger levels like when it comes to the word of God? I used to want a, a bunch of kids, right? I used to tell people, I want a bunch of boys and just one girl, right? A bunch of boys and one girl, and they would all tell me I was crazy, right? They'd all tell me, have you seen how much teenage boys eat? Is that, you really want that many boys in your... And I used to think they were all crazy. And so my seven-year-old Levi starts ordering the same thing I'm ordering at the restaurant, right? <laughs> and he eats it all. And now I'm realizing, whoa, this, this, is, not the, this is not good, right? This is not good whatsoever. <laughs> let's slow it down. Let's slow it down a bit, right? And he has a hunger, but that's how he grows, by feeding, by nourishing himself with good food, and then exercising it. And the same is true for us, family. What are we feeding on? Are we feeding on the word of God? Is God's word abiding in our hearts? When we're faced with different tragedies or difficulties, is it God's word that comes out of us? Or is it the world, the ideas of this world? Are you comforting yourself in a horoscope, right? Are you comforting yourself in the fortune cookie you got? Are you comforting yourself in what you read online? Are you comforting yourself in the word of God? It's going to reveal what's abiding within us, what's really inside of us. And God's word tells us this is the only way we can grow and mature in God. Sometimes people, they don't like the advice given to them by the pastors here. Because nine times out of ten, we'll tell you, spend more time reading the Bible. Having difficulty in your marriage, read the Bible together and do what it says. Having difficulty with your kids, read the Bible together and do what it says. Having difficulty at your job, read the Bible and do what it says, right? And we just want this magic pill, this magic bullet. But God's word tells us we need to take in God's word. And then what's the second part? We have to do what God's word says. If we're obedient to God and his word, then we're not going to succumb to temptation, we're not going to be obedient to the evil one. We're not going to be obedient to the world and its systems. What separates a little child and a young man spiritually is that they are an overcomer. They're no longer being told the same command over and over and over again. They have enough self-control to stop hitting their brother or sister, right? They have enough self-control to stop sticking the bean up their nose. They have enough self-control. They have enough wisdom to begin cleaning their room and be obedient to their parents, right? 
Family, where are we at? Are we still that small child that God is still giving us the same command over and over and over again? And we're just refusing to obey or we're choosing to forget? Is this not a priority to us? Or have we become that overcomer? We're fighting our flesh, we're fighting this world, and we're fighting Satan through the power of Christ in us. Through the power of God's word abiding in each and every one of us. Again, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. It's taking in God's word and by being obedient to it. That's how we grow. That's how we mature. And if you're here and you're just playing with sin, you have that same sinful monkey on your back for weeks and months and years, the same struggle for decades, what God's word is revealing to you is that spiritually, you're still a little child. Spiritually, you're still that baby. Or perhaps even scarier is that you're really a child of darkness because you're habitually walking in darkness and you're not walking in the light. Again, we should be honest with ourselves with what the mirror of God's word is revealing to us. Thanks be to God. He doesn't want to leave us there. He wants us to mature. Like any loving mom and dad truly wants their sons and daughters to mature, to be able to mature and take care of themselves, to hopefully get to the point where they can take care of their own family. And then hopefully, right, they'll be able to take care of us as we get older. Hopefully you're not 80 years old and you're still taking care of your sons and daughters, right? 90 years old and you're still having to tell them what to do, still giving them allowance, right? May we grow, may we mature. Finally, the last aspect of this growth, right, is the father or the mother, if you would, right? It's those who are spiritually mature. And how can someone be a mom or a dad? What do they need? Children. Thank you, right? It's not that difficult, right? You need kids in order to be a mom or a dad. You don't just call a random person mom or dad, right? They need to have children. They are focused on other people. And these are the ones who are the pillars within the church. They are the ones bringing other people to Jesus. And when they come to church, they're not focused on what people can do for them. They're focused on what they can do for others. Is that not what a good mom or dad does? Right? They're focused on the kids and are they eating? How are they doing? How are they doing socially? Did they do their homework? Did they do this? That's what a good mom or dad does. And spiritually here, as we continue to grow, we're going to be more like Christ who looked out for the interests of others more than his own interests. Again, Christ came to the world to serve, not to be served. Right? It's a plus when you have enough kids that they can help you and serve you, right? But that's not the true goal. That's not the true reason. The fathers here are characterized by the knowledge of him who is from the beginning. John attributes the maturity to these spiritual fathers with coming from knowing Jesus he says it twice there, right? Them knowing the Lord. That word to know, it's not knowing him through a dictionary or an encyclopedia. Don't know when was the last time you pulled out an encyclopedia, right? Or through Google or other ways. It's to know through personal experience. To have a firsthand acquaintance with him. To know his perfect and highest degree of kindness towards you and towards I. To know the benefits overflowing to us from fellowship with God. Family, do you really know God? Do you know how good he's been to you? Have you tasted of the benefits that overflow from this fellowship with Christ? This is how we mature, abiding in his word, doing what it says, and spending more time with him. 
And you just do that over and over and over again. And you will continue to mature. This maturity comes from having the word of God abiding in us. And being obedient to God's word and overcoming the evil one. And from being a five-year-old to a 105-year-old. As long as we're on this rock, that's the way it is. It's being in God's word, being obedient to God's word, and overcoming the wicked one. And all throughout that process, we grow in our personal experience with God. We get to know his character more and more. We get to spend more alone time with him. Again, for the married couples or the next retreat that comes, I encourage you to sign up for those retreats. You get to spend time in stillness and quietness and make an effort to say, you know what, God, out here in this balcony or by the pool or alone in my room, I can leave my phone off and read your word and spend time with you and with God's people. It's special times within our relationship with him. And again, this is the only way to grow in maturity with God. It's to spend time with him. It's to spend time in his word. There's no other way to do it. Any other way, it's a lie. Any other way, often it's puffing up our own pride, trying to fluff our spiritual feathers, trying to show how great we are. All the while, we are more immature than ever before. If we are not spending quality time with Jesus... We are likely still spiritual children. And again, that last aspect, those who care more about others within the church. And as we come to church, who do we care most about? Ah, I just want to slide in and out, let nobody bother me. Or, oof, that person looks like they're having a bad day. Let, let's leave before they talk to me, right? What a bad dad or mom would that be, right? Honey, our kids look like they're having a bad day. Oof, let's go to the other room before they talk to us, right? <laughs> They look kind of hungry. They're kind of crying. Oh, I don't want to deal with this. Let me, let me go here or there. Again, as we mature in Christ, you come to church, you see someone broken, man, you want to talk to them. You see someone new at church, they're all alone. You want to comfort them, speak with them, get to know them. That's the mark of spiritual maturity. Knowing God's word, being obedient to God's word, and caring out for others more than we care for ourselves. John, he continues and he gives us another aspect of spiritual maturity and growth here in verse 15. We'll read verse 15 through 17 and then come back through it. He tells us, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Again, John's writing this to a group of believers. So why would John warn them about this? Because they will probably struggle with it. Why is God reminding us of this right now? Because there are many of us here who are probably struggling with this. That we have a love for this world and we know it, or some of us may be blind to it. That right now we're just going after the desires of our flesh, the desires of our eyes, and the desire of pride. Some of us know it, some of us don't know it. But back to verse 15, right? It, it warns us, do not love the world or the things in the world. One of the pastors I was listening to, he gave the title of his teaching, A Love That God Hates, right? A Love That God Hates. And is he just speaking about this world in general, right? Does God want us to all of a sudden hate the trees and hate nature and hate everything in it? Go outside and rip out the grass and burn it to the ground, right? Is that what he's asking us to do? To hate this world? Not at all. He wants us to hate the standards of this world. 
He wants us to hate the values that this world has. He's not speaking of this world. He's not even speaking of the people in the world. He's speaking of our joint venture in battling God. Our joint venture as humanity to want to fight God. To want to come against him and his word. To place ourselves as the authority in this universe and not humble ourselves and say, God, you are truly the authority in this universe. That's what God is warning us to not love because this present world will pass away. This present world is all going to burn. This present world is decaying and falling apart each and every day. And if we put our investment, if we put our love in this world, it warns us at the end of verse 15, the love of the Father is not in him. You see, some of us, we could love this world so much that our heart is so filled with a love and a lust for this world There's no room for the love of God there. We're just consumed with this world and the rat race and everything going on. There's no room, there's no time that we would spend in trying to seek and cultivate that love of God. Family, where are you at? Do you really love the Lord or do you love this world? Again, it's speaking of this world's sinful humanity, united in rebelling against God. It's this anti-God or ignoring God way of doing things. It's man's world fallen from God. And if we're honest, is our world not trying to fight God? Is our world not completely anti-God? Right? How can we come to the point where we're voting or choosing our leadership, choosing to take Bibles out of schools, take the Ten Commandments out of the courtrooms, to take prayer out of school, right? How could we choose to do this we're in an ongoing battle with God that's what this world is doing and sometimes we lie to ourselves saying I don't really love this world no 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 I love God with all my heart right but if we're chasing after the same things that this world is chasing after if we're following after the same things that this world is following if we're chasing after the riches and honors and pleasures of this world we're in love with it that's what we're after That's what we're going for. You could turn to Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. Here Jesus has a a really a great warning for us. Matthew 16, verse 26. We could start in verse 24. Sorry for you note takers that already wrote verse 26 and have to scratch it out. Uh, But Matthew 16, verse 24. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross And follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels. And then he will reward each according to his works. Again, family, God is warning us, Jesus is warning us that if we're just after the same rat race that this world is in, it could all be a waste. If we're not growing, right, our spiritual state, if we're not growing mature in our maturity with God, if we're not growing in our love for God, what is it going to profit us? Gain this whole world, get the best 401k, all the money, everything that this world has to offer, and yet every single person dies. John, he was, uh, Pastor John, he was mentioning how Solomon, he has the greatest riches, the greatest wealth that this world has ever known. 
And at the end of his life in Ecclesiastes, he says, it's vanity. It's all a waste. I got all this money. I can't take it with me to the grave. I got to give it to my kids. They're not going to use it well, right? They're just going to waste it. This is vanity. This is a waste. Family, what are you going after? What are you going after? In Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus gives us the right way we should live. Jesus gives us the, the one thing that we should be going after. It's in Matthew 22, verse 37. Here the Pharisees are trying to catch him in one of their riddles. They're trying to one-up Jesus, right? And then he answers them in verse 37. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Again, family, the warning to us is that if we love anything more than God, we are adopting this world's system into our lives. If we have a love and desire for anything more than God, we really like this world. And Satan often uses it to distract us from loving the most important thing, which is God. Right? If we're honest, we're filled with distractions. We have an ongoing distraction in each and every one of our pockets, right? It's literally buzzing us, telling us, hey, let me distract you, right? You're not focused on the people in front of you. You're not focused on the things around you. And your phone just wants you to be focused on it. Listen to Joe Fosian, it's so true. We, we spend billions of dollars in amusement, Right? That word muse is to be able to sit down and think, spend time in deep thinking, deep thought. And we literally spend billions, trillions of dollars to keep us from being able to muse, to keep us from being able to think, to keep us from being able to sit down and really ponder the greatness of our God. What are we after in this world? If we're in love with the ways of this world, if we're in love with the amusements of this world, it's a dangerous family. And one of the greatest dangers, one of the greatest gods that we follow, it's the God of comfort. If we're honest, many times we will make a decision based on, is this going to be comfortable or uncomfortable? So-and-so invited me to dinner. Who's going to be there? Am I going to be comfortable or uncomfortable? They're asking me to serve in this place. Is it going to be comfortable or uncomfortable? And if we're making all of our decisions based on our own comforts, we're serving the God of this world. And there's a great danger to us. There is a, an offer that we can do work for the kingdom of God. But oftentimes we'll say, no, God, I don't want to do that because that would make me uncomfortable. How often when we're faced with the opportunity with a missions trip, do we say, ah, I don't want to go on that missions trip. I got to sleep where? In the where of Costa Rica, right? Not by the beach, not with the surfboard, not with the all-you-could-eat buffet. You want me to sleep in the jungle of Costa Rica? That's not comfortable. I don't feel like being uncomfortable, so I don't want to go on that mission trip, right? We don't say that out loud, but that's what we're thinking. You want me to serve in children's ministry? Those little kids make me uncomfortable, right? I don't want to serve there. You want me to serve in parking lot ministry? Being outside in the humidity, the summer of Miami, that makes me uncomfortable, I don't want to do that. And now all of a sudden we're basing all of our decisions based on comfort. Right? There's a great warning to us even as parents. What do we deem as what's best for our sons and daughters? The comforts of this world or growing in their walk with Christ? Right? Even Bill Gallatin, he mentioned it a couple of Sundays ago. How many of us as parents would genuinely be excited if our kids said, Mom, Dad, 
I want to be a missionary for the rest of my life out in Peru. How many of us as parents would say, you're wasting your life away. All the college, all the school, you're going to waste your life away. The 401k, the comforts, the insurance, how are you going to live without insurance? And we're basing it on comfort. And that's what this world does. This world looks at 401k, comfort, insurance, money, X, Y, Z. Or are we looking at things in view and perspective of God? Right? None of the disciples would have left what they had to follow Jesus if they were just going out based on comforts. They all left their jobs. They all left their families. They all left their homes to follow the Messiah. It was uncomfortable. They didn't know what they were going to eat. They didn't know where they were going to sleep. It was uncomfortable. But there's a danger to us. We could turn real quick to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. And here there's a man mentioned by the name of Demas. I don't know of many Demases, right? Not too popular of a name in the Bible. Demas, he's mentioned three times. Twice we see him on different missionary trips with Paul and with Luke. He's found there in Philemon. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, as Paul is encouraging Timothy, he's also giving him the reality of where Demas, this man that was once a missionary, this man that had so much that he was doing for God, where he's at right now. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, what does he say? For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Again, family, where are we at? Maybe we're giving up on kingdom business because we have a love for this present world. We're saying, God, I don't want to do that for you. I love my comfort. I love the things going on in this world, right? Family, if we are following this world's customs, if we're adopting this world's ideals, if we're coveting this world's prizes, if we're seeking this world's fellowship, if we're disobeying God, you have a love for this world. And I have a love for this world. Again, it's an ongoing battle. That's why John writes this to us. What's our stance on sex and sexuality? Are we getting it from God? Are we getting it from this world? When it comes to pornography, are we making excuses for it? Homosexuality, are we saying it's okay? Sex outside of marriage, you just got to test it out? Are we saying, no, I get my commandments from God. I have a greater love for God than I do for this world. Right? What's your view on drugs, right? Zach, marijuana's a plant. God said all the things he created were good, right? He created lead and rocks. No one eats it, right? No one's trying to eat that or snort that and say that's good for you. That's healthy. Again, pharmakia, he uses a specific word in the Greek there in the New Testament. We're opening ourselves up to dangerous doors, dangerous spiritual doors if we're taking in and consuming these drugs. Alcohol, what's our stance? The world says it's okay. The world says it's fine. So I'm, I'm fine with it too. Wine and strong drink, all over the Bible, there's warnings to us of alcohol. How could we say it's completely okay? Again, if you can take it and you got perfect balance, hey, that's good, that's fine on you. As pastors or leadership, biblically, there's no reason for it. What about hatred or racism, decisiveness, right? Do we take this world systems, our upbringing, or are we following God's word? And then even for today, when it comes to godly forgiveness... Where are we at with that? Are we able to forgive others or do we tell someone, hey, you're stuck with this for the rest of your life, right? The critical race theory and some of the stuff going on today that there's literally no forgiveness for this. 
Now you have to spend the rest of your life living with this, going on the opposite direction because of your past sins or sins you haven't even committed. Where do we stand on these things? You could just write down Leviticus chapter 18, verse 2 and 3. Here God, he's speaking to the children of Israel. And it says, speaking to the children of Israel, say to them, I am the Lord your God. According to the doings of the land of Egypt where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan where I'm bringing you, you shall not do. Nor shall you walk in their ordinances. Again, family, we need to be careful that we're adopting our morals from the world. That's loving this world and the systems of this world. We can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. It's a part of me that wants to read this whole chapter, so i got to see what we do here. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll start off in verse 17. And this is basically the New Testament version of Leviticus 18. But again, the same exact idea here. Our marching orders, our morals, what we should deem as good or bad for ourselves and our family should come from God and his word, not the people around us. Not this world. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 It tells us, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But, right, highlight verse 20. You have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard of him and have been taught by him and the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct. The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We're not to adopt this world's systems. We're not to adopt this world's morals. We're not to adopt this world's wardrobe, right? The dads, the moms here, are you okay with the wardrobe of your sons and daughters looking just like this world? Because it tells us here where the world is at. It's in lewdness. It's in darkness. It's in blindness. We need to adopt Christ. We're a new man, hopefully, right? We've been given a new heart. We've been given the new body. We've been given the righteousness of Christ on us. We're no longer walking in ignorance. If you're a believer, you know better. Christ's Holy Spirit working within us knows better. And now if we're suppressing the Holy Spirit, that's, it's dangerous. Go back to 1 John chapter 2. If you want, man, read the rest of Ephesians chapter 4 when you go home. It's a great chapter. But back to 1 John chapter 2. Verse 16, and here it tells us, right? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. John here, now he's dividing the world's system into three parts, into three different lusts, three different longings, three different desires, three different cravings that draw us away from God and draw us into loving the world and the systems of this world. The first one is the lust of the flesh. It's the desire to feel good. Simply put, 
the desire to feel good, right? Oftentimes people, they'll dive into a bad relationship, sexual relationship, to feel good. They'll dive into alcoholism to feel good, dive into drugs to feel good. Even Satan, he tempts Christ with turning the rocks into bread, right, to feel good. Satan, he tempts Eve, telling her, hey, the tree that is bearing fruit that is good for food, right? And there's this temptation to just do whatever feels good. But what is the world literally telling us to do? Do whatever feels good, right? We have to be careful with this. It's a pathway to darkness. It's a pathway to follow this world and the things of it. The next one, it's the desire, right? The lust of the eyes. It's the desire to look good, right? You want to look good in front of other people. You want to look your best. You want other people to look at you and say, oh, that person's so amazing, right? Christ, when Satan tempts him and shows him all the kingdoms of the earth and says, hey, this will be yours. This looks good. This will all be yours if you just bow down to me. Eve, she looks at the fruit and it was pretty and desirable. David, he looks at Bathsheba and he says she's beautiful. And we can't just go after what our eyes say, hey, this looks good. We have to go after God and his word. Finally, it's the pride of life. And it's the desire to be good, right? The desire to be superior to other people. You want to look down at others because you're just so amazing. You're so incredible, right? Saying he tempts Christ, he says, hey, throw yourself down from the temple. God promises you'll never break one of your bones. The angels will catch you. Everybody will be amazed. Everybody will know you're the Messiah. Eve, how did Satan tempt her? He says, hey, if you eat this fruit, it's going to make you wise just like God himself. Why was Satan thrown out of heaven? Because he said he was going to ascend like God. We have to be careful with our pride. The desire to be better than other people. Not to give glory to God, right? We should work hard. That's the beautiful balance of Scripture. If you don't work, you don't eat, right? That's what God's Word tells us here. But now there's a desire within us that we're not working just to provide for ourselves. We're not working just to provide for our family. We're working because we want to look like we are the superior to all the people around us. We're not working to give God the glory. We're working so that everyone else can know we are better than they are, right? And that's the pride of life. It's this arrogant assumption. It's oppressing other people through outward appearance. And basically, it's what social media is based on, right? Everybody's trying to outdo each other. Everybody's trying to say, hey, here's my highlight reel, and my highlight reel is better than your highlight reel, right? We have to be careful with this pride of life, this lust of the flesh, this lust of the eyes. It's all sin. It's how Satan tempts us. And how do we overcome the evil one? Where's our strength? Having God's word abide in us, right? It all goes back to that. And then even back further, what happens when we fall and if we fall? Do we just tailspin out of control? Woe is me. I'm never going to church again. No, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We come to him and he promises that he's going to be just and faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's the beautiful God that we serve. But back to this family, what's our standard for success? Is our standard based on this world or is our standard based on God and his word? Pastor John Randall, he was talking about how he met his wife and 19 days after meeting her, he got engaged to her, right? And then they got married quickly. All the while, what was his job? He was the janitor at the church, right? Some of the parents may not like that, right? That's sort of a story. But what's our standard for success? 
Is it this world and this world systems? Or are we saying, hey, I just want my son or daughter to love Jesus with all of their heart, all of their soul, all of their mind, and all of their spirit. And if they're doing that, if God is using them, I'm blessed with that, right? Would we look at Paul and honestly call him a success? Would we say, look at this man. He's high up within religion. He has power. He has prestige. He has 401K. He has insurance. He has it all together. He's going to give it all up. He's going to go be a missionary to where? He's going to be shipwrecked how many times? He's going to get beaten up how many times? That guy's not a success. He gave it all up. That guy wasted his life away. If we're honest, there are many believers that if there was a Paul today, we'd say, that guy wasted his life away. He gave up all the comfort for this unknown. All the while, the Lord, we know the work that he did in Paul. Family, what's our standard for a spouse or even for a friendship, right? God warns us that a friendship with this world is enmity with God. The people around us, the people that we call our friends, are they drawing us nearer to God or are they pulling us away from him? Do we have friends within the body of Christ? Are we trying to be completely alone in our walk with Christ? That's, you're going to set yourself up for failure. And then finally, what's our standard for our spirituality? Do we just want an outward religion, right? We have that pride of life. We want everybody to see how spiritual we are. We're puffing up our spiritual feathers and all that we've done, all that we know. All the while, we're just as immature as any of the other new believers. Again, family, remember, this world is presently passing away. It's passing away right here, right now. And if you're giving the best of your life to this world and the things of this world, you're wasting it away. You're wasting it all away. It's going to be a wasted life. That's what God's word is telling us. This world is passing away today and it will continue tomorrow until the day Jesus comes back. Right? What do the dads talk about now? We talk about how expensive gas is, how expensive groceries are, and how expensive wood and materials are. What did our dads talk about 20 years ago, right? How expensive groceries are, how expensive gas is, and how expensive houses are, right? What did our dads' dads talk about 40 years ago? How expensive groceries are, how expensive gas is, and how expensive houses are, right? This world is not going to get better. Every four years, we're reminded of how evil, how terrible our world is. When I first started driving, I think gas was like 150, 190, something like that. And my dad would tell me, man, I used to fill up at... 25 cents a gallon, right, or something like that. His dad used to fill up at like 5 cents a gallon, right? And we go through this. This world is passing away. It's getting worse and worse. Family, where are you going to place your investment? We can invest in something that's spiritual that we are going to reap in our life to come, in the real life. We can place an investment that we'll all get to taste of in heaven. Or there's some of us that we're putting all our investment here and now in this life And either you're going to be a child of darkness or you're going to have a saved soul and a wasted life, right? Where's your investment? Right? If someone would offer you, hey, I got this new floppy disk business, right? You want to jump in this joint venture with me, right? Probably half of the people here don't even know what a floppy disk is, right? But, man, (laughs) you want to jump in this? I got these coasters. They hold 56, right, bytes, right, Uh, space in each and every one of them, right? 32 megabytes is massive, right? You want to jump in this business venture? No, it's passing away. That's failing. That's falling. May we invest in the life to come, family. Because if we're following after God and God's will, if we're growing in maturity and we're seeking to bring other people to Christ, we're investing in heaven. We're investing in our real life. 
right? Jesus, he talks about unless a grain of wheat falls and dies, that's the only way it's going to experience its true life, its real life. And the life we're living right now, it seems real, it feels so real, and it is real, right? We're not living in an altered dimension or the matrix or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying, right? But we will all die. Every single person is going to die. And if you're here and you're a son or daughter of the light, that moment that you die, you're going to see what we were really made for. You're going to see what eyes were really made for, what ears were really made for, and it was to be in the presence of God himself. And now all of our investments here in this world, we're going to taste of in the life to come. Not for 40 years, not for 80 years, not for 100 years, before the rest of eternity. So again, family, which system are you loving? Do you love God's system or do you love this world's system? Which system are you basing your life on, basing your family's life on? This world system or God's system? We can make that investment here and now. And again, perhaps you've been making the wrong investment. Jesus Christ the righteous, right? Attorney at law. He's standing there to defend us, to welcome us back, to forgive us and say, God, this one's mine. Dad, this one's mine. I got him. I paid his penalty. This one belongs to me. Let's walk in that freedom that he's given us. 